0: And we wouldn't think so either, right? I mean, if we're to be honest, we would not have thought so either had we been there because we would have expected Jesus to do what deceased people do. They stay dead. It's why none of the accounts... Of the life of Jesus that we find in the new covenant, none of those accounts, anywhere in those accounts do we find anyone outside of the tomb counting backwards like 10, 9, 8, 7, cue the sun, 6, 5. We we don't find that. There's no one outside of the tomb because everyone expected Jesus to stay dead. Now, this is something we are teaching through today, something that Cole and I have been taught by a mentor of ours, and we are doing our best to pass this on to you as accurately as possible because it moved us, and we believe that this information is so good. We want to present it accurately because we believe it can impact your life the way it did ours. But again... There was no one outside of the tomb because they all expected Jesus to stay dead. So the text tells us, Mark chapter 16, verse 1, when the Sabbath was over, that's important because they couldn't do anything until the Sabbath was over. It was against their religious laws. They couldn't do any work. So when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, uh, the mother of James, and Salome, They all headed off to do something. They bought spices so that they might go and anoint the body of Jesus. Now, the reason why they had to go purchase those spices is because no one had purchased them ahead of time because the events happened so rapidly, so quickly. I mean, Thursday, Jesus was arrested Uh, Friday morning. They most of them did not find out about it until Friday morning when they woke up. And by Friday night, Jesus was dead. They didn't have time. Everything happened so quickly. It moved so fast. By the time they found out about the events, they had happened so quickly, they had no time to even catch up emotionally with everything that was going on. You see, they believed, as followers of Jesus, they believed. Here's what they believed, that Jesus was a teacher. And that Jesus uh, could do these miraculous things from God. Miraculous signs from God. They believed that. And they had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. But clearly, now, clearly they thought we're wrong. Because God would never allow his Messiah to be crucified. He wouldn't allow it. And they watched him die. Hope was now dead. And that night, Friday evening, they followed Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, and they probably had to pay Pilate to get the body of Jesus. They followed along beside them, and they were in absolute shock. You see, Jesus came into Jerusalem, and everyone expected when he walked in, uh, um, they expected he, this was the time he was going to announce himself as the Messiah. But now, just days later... They're following Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea to a tomb that they had never seen before. Wow. All of this. And they just watch as these men place Jesus inside that tomb. And they're just just in shock. And those two men hurriedly prepared the body of Jesus. They they embalmed him with whatever they could get their hands on spice-wise. And they wrapped his body. and, And they were just all in shock and the followers of Jesus now spend the next couple of nights with their heads just spinning wildly but finally after the Passover is finished finally they think we have to do something so some of them decide they're going to go back back to the tomb and perhaps they could just get inside the tomb They're looking to spend just a little more time, uh, what they need to kind of catch up emotionally with all those events that happened over the past hours. And so the text tells us this about their their day. It says, they were on their way to the tomb and they ask each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Who's going to help us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And we find out from Luke, who had thoroughly investigated all of these events and all of the eyewitnesses. He investigated, he interviewed them, and he writes the entire story down, and he tells us that they went inside of the tomb, and that's when they found it empty. And here's the thing you need to know about that especially if you used to be a church person, maybe when you were a kid or or a younger adult or a teenager, and now maybe, maybe not so much anymore. Here's what you need to know. Perhaps this time of year is maybe when you decide to go to church with your family, possibly, and maybe with grandparents or relatives and and maybe it's you have heard this Easter story before, but here's what I want you to know this is a part of the story that perhaps you've never really heard, or maybe not understood as a child. And I'm assuming maybe you have grown up at some point and heard this story before. You need to know this, what I'm getting ready to say the closest followers of Jesus, his closest friends, Peered into the tomb, and not one single one of them, no one, assumed a resurrection had taken place. When Mary and this group of women peered into the empty tomb, they assumed what we would assume. They assumed that someone had the st- city where all the other disciples are not out and about teaching. no, they're hiding. And here's what the lady said. John chapter chapter 20, verse 2. They start out with they. We don't know who they are because we just don't know. But here's what the women say. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. In other words, someone has gone into the tomb, they're saying, and they have removed, taken his body. And then they say, and we don't know where they have put him. We don't know. And Luke says that the disciples were so skeptical. Uh, the, The women, as they were describing this, were so frantic. And they were so understandably emotional. That the followers of Jesus, they document all of this for us. And here's what Luke says. Luke says but they did not, the the disciples did not even believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. So here's something that just perhaps we have in common with Jesus, friends, and family in the first century. If you're someone who acknowledges that Jesus is a historical person, because after all, almost everyone in the world now acknowledges and agrees that yes, Jesus was a historical real person. Sure, there was at one point in our history, recent history, there was a point where some scholars doubted that there was ever even such a person as a historical real Jesus. But that has kind of come and it is gone. Everyone around the world pretty much agrees and acknowledges that Jesus was a real historical person but if you're one of those people who perhaps say yes 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 jesus he did exist he he did some good things and there are some parts of his lifestyle that there are things that maybe we should even try to emulate in our own lives yes 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 but listen harley the this whole resurrection part this whole thing that that's just a bit of nonsense well there's good news then if that's the way you feel because you are in great company The best friends that Jesus had felt the same way. That morning, that it was discovered that his body was absent, none of them assumed that there had been a resurrection. They assumed, what we would probably assume too, that Jesus would stay dead, because that's what dead people do. And Peter And another one of the disciples, once they heard that from the ladies, they couldn't just sit there. I mean, because the women were insisting that his body is gone. Someone took it. But they're not going to go as a whole group of disciples because they're all afraid for themselves at this point. So Peter and John, they leave that room And they go and try to discover for themselves. They take a look for themselves. And the text tells us what happens next. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And bending over, he saw the strips of linen. Now those were the strips that the two men had wrapped around the body of Jesus, doing the best they could to get him embalmed and into the tomb before it got too late. And he saw those scripts lying by themselves and he went away. Now, listen, he did not go away shouting, Woohoo, Jesus is alive. Mm-mm. He's not shouting, Hey, there's been a miracle, everybody, a miracle. Jesus really is the Messiah. No, 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 no. He didn't say anything like that. He didn't come back out saying, Hey, hope is walking again. No. Peter went away wondering to himself, not even speaking out loud, wondering to himself, what happened? This is one of the most important parts of the narrative. The men and the women who were the closest to Jesus and the ones who would go on to write and be the writers of the new covenant documents they actually, in their writings, document for us their skepticism and their unbelief. These were the very people who would become the spokesmen and spokeswomen of this brand new movement that was coming. Don't ever forget this. They documented their own disbelief. These were not superstitious people. These were men and women who had given up all the hope that they had. There was no dream now to keep alive because Jesus was dead. There was no movement that they had any intention of to to keep it moving. There was no story to tell anymore. Hope isn't walking now. Hope is dead. And the text says it. On the evening of the first day of the week. So in other words, on the very evening of the morning that they discovered the empty tomb. When the disciples were together with the doors locked, why? Because they were afraid. With the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. And here's why, and they were rightfully so, they should have been afraid because they're thinking, okay, they're coming for us next. Pilate, I mean, he gave someone permission to go take that body of Jesus, their leader. He gave them permission, so certainly he's going to give somebody permission to come after us. It is now open season on any follower of Jesus. So the very evening of the morning that they found no body. Well, here's what happened. The text says, now listen, again, they're they're not remember that they're not running into the street saying, hey, yeah, 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 there's been a resurrection. He's alive, he's alive. No, 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 no. They're hiding. So what we're getting ready to read here, they're hiding. And for two evenings, they've been hiding. And the text tells us what happens next. This is is amazing. It tells us that suddenly, in just an instant, Behind these locked doors, the door never opens, and Jesus appears. Boom! They were startled, the text says. I think that's an understatement. And they were frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. And he, Jesus, said to them. Now listen, I, I kind of think this is interesting. This is probably, I, I could only imagine Jesus in this moment. Think with me, try to think with me on this. It's possible that he had the biggest grin imaginable. He knows what's going on. He knows he's going to show up in this locked room and he's going to startle them. Jesus was playing with these guys all the time, all the time. I mean, in, in their time together, whenever he there was something that made his disciples afraid, and he knew they were afraid. Jesus would look at them and he'd say, why are you afraid? <laughs> What's going on? Why there was this one time that they were, uh, t- Jesus was taking a nap in a boat and it was a horrible storm and 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 it looked like they were about to sink and the disciples wake Jesus up and and he looks at them and he's like, what? Why are you afraid? And, and they're like, we're afraid because the boat's sinking and we're going to go under. That's why we're afraid. And he's like. Yeah, the boat's sinking. We may all go down and drown, but why are you afraid? Why are you worried? Guys, where's your faith? He he was messing with them all the time. And now Jesus shows up in this room with the men who had seen him crucified and die. Men who knew that this body, where it had been placed, It was no longer there. It had been taken. It had been stolen. Men assumed that that very evening, someone had taken that body. And now they're looking at Jesus and he says to them again, fellas, why are you so terrified? And then he kind of explains this, breaks it down. This is what I told you while I was still with you. (laughs) He's like, guys, guys. You shouldn't be afraid. Didn't you listen to me? And the answer is no. Because they they were listening, but they weren't. Because anytime Jesus was giving them bad news about what was going to happen to himself, they just kind of checked out. It was like, oh, uh, we must not understand this. And they checked out. Because surely, oh, this surely, Jesus is just exaggerating. He's telling us a parable, a story, something. It must be a figure of speech. Because there is no way that he is the Messiah of God and bad things are going to happen to him. No, 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 no. That can't happen to the Messiah of God. And Jesus says to them, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Now, that's an interesting phrase I want to draw your attention to. He did not say everything that has been written to me in the Bible must be fulfilled. That's not what he said, because guess what? They didn't have a Bible. It didn't exist. A Bible was not going to exist for probably another 400 years from that point. That's how Jesus described their holy scriptures. He said that he didn't use the word Bible. He, they didn't have one. They, they, they had sacred scriptures, and that's what they called them. Here's the the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And Jesus said, I I told you that all of this has been foretold in the sacred scriptures. He said, I I tried to connect the dots with you guys. I tried that. Don't you remember when I said, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead. And on the third day, repentance For the forgiveness of sins, it will be preached in his name to all the nations. Beginning, guys, right here where you are right now in this locked room, at Jerusalem. Then Jesus looks at them in the eyes and he says something so extraordinarily important. It's something that would ultimately change their lives, and it's something that would ultimately result in you and I being right here in this room today and people all over the world. It would result in the occasion we celebrate today. He looked at them, and here's what he said, you are witnesses of these things. Jesus is saying, you are the witnesses of the event that is going to change the world. And they were. They were witnesses to the event that launched the church. He said, you guys and you ladies who were there, he said, you are witnessing hope walking again. Don't miss this. The resurrection of Jesus created Christianity and launched the church. I want to say that again. McKinley's going to put it on the screen if if our computer's working right. The resurrection of Jesus, that event, created Christianity and it launched the church. You see, the church did not create the Bible. And the church did not create this story of Jesus. It is the resurrection of Jesus that launched the church and started it. It's, that is the event that created our faith. So before the resurrection, there were no Christians. Before the resurrection, there weren't. And after Jesus was crucified, there were no believers at that moment after he was crucified, everybody gave up hope. Nobody was going to launch a movement in the name of Jesus. Nobody was going to keep the parable of the Good Samaritan circulating. Nobody was going to keep telling the story about the parable of the prodigal son. Nobody was going to repeat the teachings of Jesus to anyone because Jesus was dead and he had claimed too many things about himself for them to go on and keep telling the stories. If it was possible for Jesus, in their minds, for Jesus to be arrested and crucified, then he could not have been who he claimed to be. But you see, the resurrection changed all of that think of this. Peter and his brother Andrew, James and John and Mary, they all admitted nobody expected no body. Nobody was expecting that they would walk into that tomb and find no body there. All of them expected Jesus to stay dead. Now, if you're new to this church thing, If you're new to even this specific church, Stuttgart Harvest Church, there's something that you should know about us. The reason we believe that Jesus rose from the dead is their testimony from those people. We don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible tells us so. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead because eyewitnesses told us so. We believe because Matthew, who was an eyewitness, he documented this experience with Jesus. We believe because he told us so. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead because of Mark, who spent time with Peter, and he got Peter's account and he believed because of what Peter said that Jesus rose from the dead. And we believe because of Luke. He came along later and thoroughly investigated everything related to this. Talked to eyewitness after eyewitness after eyewitness. And he wrote that account down. We believe because of his testimony. We believe because of John who was an eyewitness, who put together his account of the life of Jesus. And we believe because of Peter. Peter believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And later he goes on to write letters to churches that say so. We believe because James, the brother of Jesus. Now listen, James, the brother of Jesus, he does not show up with all the other disciples he wasn't even with them because he didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. That's how this, that's how it goes. He just, I mean, because listen, how, what would it take for you to believe that your brother is the Lord, right? What would it take? Every time you go home, your mom's like, why can't you be more like Jesus? <laughs> what would it take for you to declare your brother's the Lord? So exactly James, it would take more than a few card tricks, right? More than, uh, more, than, more than a few miracles for you to believe. But when James came face to face and met his resurrected brother, his brother walking around, living again, James then declared his brother as the Lord. So it's just not enough. You see, we have to go from the testimony of someone who sees. So it's not, I believe because the Bible tells me so. No, 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 no. It's because the eyewitnesses tell us so. Maybe this is you. I don't believe the Bible. And the Bible says that Jesus rose from the dead, so I can't believe that because I don't believe the Bible. But I want you to know, that's not why we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe because of exactly what Jesus told those men in that room that evening after they discovered there was no body. Jesus said to those men and the women there, he said this, you will be my witnesses and your witness to this event the fact that i am alive and walking around your witness to this event will be enough to take this message to every nation in the world beginning right here in jerusalem and they did they documented these events And those documents were copied, and they were sent to other churches and other countries. Over the course of time, they circulated the known world. And that's why we believe, because we have read their eyewitness accounts. It's why we say that the foundation of the Christian faith is an event the foundation of the Christian faith is not faith. The foundation of the of, of the Christian faith is not a book. It is an extraordinary event with profound implications. An extraordinary event with profound implications for your life and my life, for your fears and my fears, your hopes, and for your dreams. You see, Peter, who peered into that empty tomb. Peter, who followed Jesus and was one of his closest friends from the day that Jesus invited him to go fishing. Peter, who believed, and then he unbelieved, and then he denied that he ever did believe, and then he (laughs) re-believed. Let me go over that again. Peter, who believed when Jesus said, follow me. And then when Jesus was arrested in the garden, then he unbelieved and he ran off peter ran off and then when he was confronted just hours later by the middle school girls he denied that he ever did believe at all and then when he saw the resurrected jesus he rebelieved the apostle peter tradition tells us that he was crucified in nero's rome because of his faith in jesus He sat down. We believe. With Mark, possibly. And Peter and Mark were were talking. Peter was telling his story and Mark was writing it down. And he writes down the events of the life of Jesus. It's Peter's experience. And then at some point, Peter himself sits down with a scribe. And Peter dictates to that scribe letters that he sends off to the the new churches that are launched. And they have become part of what we call our new covenant today. And in one of these letters that Peter is having written, um, now he's an old man. Peter's an old man when this is happening. And he's looking back at the life and the events of Jesus. And here's what he says to these first century Christians now. Here's what he says to them. Peter, um, who saw it all himself and he dictated it all. Here's what was written down. Peter says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter believed, he believed that God was the Father, God the Father, and that Jesus was God the Son. And he says this, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Now the word hope here is interesting. It's the name of the series, Hope Walking. But it's interesting because hope is not a verb. He's not saying, oh, I hope so. I hope so. No, no. He's, he's using this as a noun. Peter is saying, because of what Jesus has done. Not a hope so, but a because so, because of what Jesus has done, we have, I have, you can have, he says, hope. But Peter, wait a minute, wait a minute, Peter, what exactly are you basing this hope upon Peter? And he says, through, and this means, because of this, or in in other words, Peter is saying this, what? tangible evidence do you have? Okay, Peter's saying, I'm going to give you some tangible evidence. Why can I say this? I'm going to let you know. Why can you, Peter, be so confident? Okay, I'm going to to fill you in on all that. Why can you now, Peter, as an old man, every single day now of your life, Peter, why can you risk your life and eventually go to Rome? Where? Where do you get this extraordinary confidence from, Peter? Where? Where do you get this hope? Through, he says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If we were to ask, hey Peter, what is the foundation of your faith, Peter? He would not say, oh, it's the parable of the prodigal son. He would not say, oh, it's the parable of anything. He would say, my faith in Jesus... Is the when I saw with my own eyes the resurrection of my friend, that's the foundation and only foundation of my faith. And Peter goes on in this passage, and he talks about this what this new life includes. He says in verse four, it includes an inheritance that can never perish spoil, or fade. Now that word inheritance is important here. I want to highlight it for just a moment. It's an important word because who gets an inheritance? Of course, the kids, the children get an inheritance. And at this moment, the apostle Peter reminds us as well as us today reading this same document that he wrote, that there is a relational factor at play right here. This isn't just history. These are not just events. Peter's reminding us that by dying on the cross for our sin, Jesus paid the way. He paved, made a way for us to have a relationship with God. And it could come to be described as a relationship between the perfect father and a child, us as his child. But what comes next as Peter describes this is extraordinary. Here's what Peter says. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Now, if you've been, if you if you haven't been paying attention, pay attention to this. You got to pay attention now. Peter believed in heaven. To what you might be thinking, Of course, no big deal. Of course he would believe in heaven, no big deal. But the apostle Peter did not believe in heaven because of something he was told as a child. Don't don't miss this. In fact, as a child, it is highly unlikely that Peter was ever told anything about heaven because there was virtually nothing about heaven written in their scriptures In fact, there is so little in the Jewish scriptures about heaven that almost, when Peter was alive and walking, almost half of the Jewish leaders didn't even believe in heaven. They just believed that once you died, that was it. It was over. That You simply lived your life while you were here on earth for the pleasure of God, and that was it. When it ended, it ended. It was over. So Peter didn't believe in heaven because of something he was taught as a child. And here, clearly, Peter says... He's holding this inheritance for you in heaven, this real place called heaven. Peter believed in heaven, not because of something he was told, but because of something he saw as an adult. He saw the resurrected Jesus. Jesus now, who often spoke about heaven. And he goes on. In all of this, You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Oh, this gets a little tricky. This is extraordinary. Peter's admitting that life is kind of tough right now, and it's difficult. Peter did not doubt god's love for him or his existence even though there was a lot of suffering going on for believers and followers of jesus and i'll tell you why he didn't doubt that because peter saw his jesus suffer and he saw jesus die a horribly painful death and then he had breakfast and coffee with jesus on the beach Peter's faith was not tethered to this imaginary, made-up God who does not allow bad things to happen to good people. And if you lost faith in God because of the evil that's in this world, I want to invite you to reconsider. Because the men and women who bring us their testimony, the story of Jesus, they saw pain in this world and suffering that we cannot imagine. And many of them experienced pain and they experienced suffering that we cannot imagine. And here's, and, and, and all of that, they still believed. They didn't lose their faith. Here's why. Because the men and women who followed Jesus, they saw the worst thing imaginable happen to the best person that they had ever known. And yet they believed anyway, because their faith was not in an imaginary God that would never allow bad things to happen to good people. Their faith was in God who was introduced to them by Jesus. The God who invited us to address Him as Heavenly Father, as Daddy Daddy. You see? It wasn't the teaching of Jesus or the miracles of Jesus that framed all of Peter's life and reframed all of Peter's life. No, 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 no. It was the resurrection of Jesus. The invitation on Easter is for us to allow that resurrection of Jesus to reframe our lives as well. That's what we want. It is the way that Peter's life was completely reframed when he saw the resurrected Jesus. When Peter was confronted with Judas in the garden and all the the, uh, guards who came to arrest Jesus that night, Peter ran off for his life. He was scared to death. But after the resurrection, Peter no longer ran from danger. He walked straight into danger for the rest of his life. Now, in this letter, Peter pivots now from resurrection, back, looking back to the crucifixion. And why that is relevant for all of us. it's relevant because of this point, there's an interchange. Here's what Peter says: "For you know what was not uh, for you know that it was not with." perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed but here's looking back at the cross now but it was the precious blood of christ and now look at this next phrase a lamb without blemish or defect now peter is looking all the way back here he takes us all the way back to that first moment that jesus begins his ministry to that first moment when his cousin John, and now Peter, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, now Jesus is an adult, 30, around 30 years old, and he is on the banks of the Jordan, his cousin's there, and his cousin is John the Baptizer, and he, John the Baptizer points at Jesus, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes, <laughs> has come to do this, to take away the sin of the world. And nobody understood what that meant, When John said that, and if that got repeated, they really didn't understand what that meant. That side of the cross and that side of resurrection, nobody understood what he meant. But Peter now, on this side of crucifixion and on this side of the resurrection, he looks back and he says, ah, yeah, now I understand God sent a perfect lamb not just to cover up and atone because that's what they did in the Old Testament with the lamb not just to cover up and atone for our sins but to pay for our sins so that God himself could create a path that is open for us to have a relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. And the point of all of this is simply this. We know that God is for us because Jesus died for us. Not because things always work out for us. We know that God is for us because Jesus died for us. Not because he makes everything work out for us. That's not why we know God is for us. This is the power of the resurrection. In a culture where they lived that was very dangerous to believe and to follow Jesus. But everything that they had experienced and everything that they saw, these men and these women emerged with extraordinary, larger than life faith in God and in Jesus because of the resurrection and that's why we say the foundation of the christian faith is an event an extraordinary event with profound implications for your life because it had profound implications for their lives it's how we know like peter knew with confidence that god is for us that god is he is he is personal god is personal it's how we know that suffering is not evidence of God's absence. Because men and women who saw extraordinary suffering and they experienced extraordinary suffering themselves, they still maintained their faith even because, and in the midst of all that suffering, because the foundation of their faith was not a perfect world where bad things don't happen to good people. The foundation of their faith was a resurrected, uh, a resurrected Savior. That's how we know even that, that heaven is real. Not because we were told as children, not because someone's trying to make us feel better um, to to know that simply that we don't have, when we go to a funeral and they say, oh, we're going to get to see the loved ones again. It's not so that we can reconnect with the loved ones and feel better because what we were told. No, 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 no. We know that heaven is real because Jesus said there's a heaven. And Jesus is the one who conquered death and was resurrected. So we can trust what he says. And if he believed it, I can believe it. Perhaps the most extraordinary thing of all, the resurrection of Jesus frees us, frees us to accept Jesus' interpretation of his own life because Jesus rose from the dead. That means everything that he said in his life now has authority over my life. The resurrection confirms that we can follow everything that jesus taught see one of the things that would bother religious leaders more than anything was that jesus would look at sick people who had come to him to be healed and before healing them jesus would look at them and he would say your sin is forgiven And these people who were judging Jesus, they would think only, well, only God can forgive sin. And Jesus would look at those religious leaders and smile and be like, yeah, yeah, only God can forgive sin. Oh yeah. And only God can do this as well. Stand up and walk. Now you can see, now you are healed. Lazarus, come out. The point of the crucifixion isn't simply heaven. It's that we can know and we can have confidence that we can be forgiven and made right in right standing with God because Jesus forgives sin and he punctuated his authority and his ability to forgive sin. He punctuated that by rising from the dead. Do you know what that means? It means that forgiveness is available to you right now. You know what that means? It means that you are loved by God. And now you are free. You're free to go and forgive other people. And you're free to go love them in turn. We're free as he was free. He loved us and he forgave us of of, of our sin. And now we're free to go do that. And Jesus actually calls this the mark of the covenant. It is loving people now, if you follow Jesus, loving people who are difficult to love, and forgiving people who are not like you, and people who will never ever love you back, perhaps, but forgiving and loving them anyway. Jesus said, that is the mark of the covenant. If you follow me, that's the life, that's what happens. It is the evidence that you really have stepped into this amazing new relationship between God and all of mankind. That's the proof for your life. And it's evidence that you have entered into this thing that Jesus called the kingdom that is not of this world. The kingdom that makes no sense in this world. The kingdom that is upside down from the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God upside down. The kingdom that would ultimately circle the globe and make its way to Stuttgart, Arkansas, and impact nearly every civilization for the past 2,000 years—it is evidence in your life that you have stepped into that kingdom, and 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 the king has a kingdom where that king has chosen to give his life for his subjects. That is a king who is worthy of his name. That is a king who is worthy of your devotion. And that brings me to my last statement today. Here's where we end. It's actually a question. If all of this is true. If as Jesus said. As if as also John and Peter and Matthew. Who are all reliable witnesses. Telling us what. Jesus said, what he did, and how he punctuated everything with his resurrection. If all of that is true, here's my question. Are you going to give him your devotion? Let me clarify this. Are you going to follow him every day? We're not talking about a piece of insurance that you file away and then go live how you want. Are you going to follow him every day in every way and not turn back? Are you going to give him your devotion? And if you are, some of you have already decided to do that. Some of you are deciding right now, I am. And if you do, please let us know on your connection card because we have some information to help you get started in this life of following and chasing after Jesus. Some of you have not yet decided. And I want you to know. Please come back next week. Please come back. Let's pray. God, I am so very grateful that you have not asked us to believe in a thing called faith. That God, you have actually, you have actually asked us to believe your eyewitnesses. You have asked us to believe their testimony because they saw you walking. They saw hope walking again when hope was dead. And this morning I ask that you would help us to believe them. Jesus, my life is different because of you. I am a worthless, no good, selfish, self-ambitious sinner who for so many years loved my way and pretended to love your way. But in my heart, I hated your way. But Jesus, you're alive. And I know this because of the witnesses, but I know it for another reason. Because it is you, Jesus, changing this ridiculous man into your child. Thank you, Jesus, for not giving up on me. And Jesus, it is in your name that I pray these things. Amen.